Hey everybody, this is Chris Nealon, the CEO of Cult Collective and co-founder of the Gathering of Cult Brands. Excited this week to introduce you to Kathy Toll. I'm excited to introduce you to Kathy uh, because my relationship with her began uh, all the way back in year one of the Gathering when she was uh, when she came to kind of accept the recognition for all of the wonderful things that the city of Las Vegas had done through their "What Happens Here Stays Here" campaign, and she has been instrumental and not only encouraging us to turn the gathering into an annual event, but also in helping all of us think about destinations as uh, cult-like brands. And uh, we've since gone on to look at the city of Austin, the island of Manhattan, the country of Iceland, all these other wonderful uh, destinations uh, kind of gotten under our radar because she helped us think differently about how destinations have to market themselves. Excited to hear what Kathy has to say. Hide your kids. Lock the doors. You're listening to HR's most dangerous podcast. Chad Sowash and Joel Cheeseman are here to punch the recruiting industry right where it hurts. Complete with breaking news, rash opinion, and loads of snark. Buckle up, boys and girls. It's time for the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Oh, yeah. It's a Monday. Woo! Our guest is our guest is so laid back. I feel like I should turn it down a, a couple notches. Like we're we're turning into NPR, and she's out of Vegas too. So we shouldn't be all laid back. So yeah, maybe because it's Monday. Maybe if we talked to her on a Friday, she'd be all cray cray. <laughs> Kathy, welcome to the show. Thank you. Good morning, Kathy Tull. Today, not related to Jethro, as far as we know. Exactly. Exactly. Kathy, what? Tell us a little bit about yourself. So I was uh, formerly the chief marketing officer for Las Vegas, and I joined Cult just a couple of months ago. I really believe in this whole idea of creating cult-like movements, and I'm excited to be a part of a new team. Well, that's awesome. That's awesome. Well, first question right out of the gate. You've got to tell me. You, now, you were the CMO. I mean, you were with uh, Las Vegas Convention and Visitors Authority for 14 years, but 10 of those years, you were the chief marketing officer when what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas was going on. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I mean, that is a campaign that I, I think everybody across the world knows. Yeah, the campaign was um, started by my um, former boss, Rossi Rollincotter and r and Partners, who's an agency here in Las Vegas, and they created What Happens Here Stays Here. And then Luckily for me, Rossi hired me and I was able to really take that and then help shepherd the brand and shepherd the growth and use that whole campaign, What Happens Here Stays Here, to attract four generations of travelers. Las Vegas gets 43 million visitors a year. Um, it's an amazing product that continues to change all the time. And to be part of that is really something that you can't repeat, um, I don't think, ever again in my career. Before What Happens Here Stays Here, What Happens in Vegas Stays in Vegas, right? There was this kind of like this kind of duality of Las Vegas, where they weren't sure what they wanted to be. Did they want to be Sin City or did they want your kids to come into the casino with you? So so can you tell us a little bit about how focus or, or how it all came to be that you found your way? So I think as Las Vegas grew, there was product being built that was um, oriented to families, but really the destination itself represented adult freedom. And so the agency and the LVCVA did a number of research project, projects around what does the visitor want, what do they expect when they come to Las Vegas, and what they really wanted was this chance to be who they are, 
you know, there's very few destinations and very places, very few places you can go in the world where you feel like you're not being judged. And Las Vegas is one of those, really a judgment-free zone. Um, and so what happens here stays here was really meant to embrace this idea of adult freedom and say, you can come to Vegas. And if you want to sleep all day and stay up all night, you can. If you want to sleep all night and go to the spa and play golf and go shopping and dine, you can do that. And so what happened was the city built product to service those consumers who love Las Vegas. And when you think about Las Vegas, you either love it or hate it. There's not a whole lot of people that are in the middle. Um, And it's something that we have something for everyone. And so creating what happens here stays here was about those moments um, that people have where they can really feel like they're free. So I, I have a quick question. I'm trying to envision the office space for your organization? Were there roulette wheels like in the lobby? Did you have like a daiquiri machine in the coffee room? Like how, or, or was it a cubicle farm? Like how, what was your workspace like? Um, you know, what's interesting is the LVCVA is a government organization. And so uh, the organization itself is pretty buttoned up, um, but the agency is a free for all. So when you're looking for crazy things happening, that would happen at the agency where I spent a good amount of time. Uh-huh. Um, and then the office itself um, was pretty buttoned up. And, and what's interesting is that the resort partners in Las Vegas actually make um, less money off gaming and more money off everything else, shopping, dining, spas, than they do um, gaming right. itself, which is a myth, right? <laughs> Everyone thinks that all the money comes from gaming, and, and that's really not true. <laughs> so you have the best of both worlds, I guess, if buttoned up could be one of the worlds you want to be in. Well, you know what? It's a great opportunity to, to be have a dual personality where you can um, do one thing in the office, then go to the agency, and it's a whole different it's a whole different feel. So, so my my real question, uh, I'm glad that you mentioned um, sort of global, like people you know from around the world come in uh, to to see Vegas. What was the ad campaign from a global perspective? Um, did you target certain countries? You know, why did you target certain countries? What was the messaging? Um, to maybe, you know, the difference between, you know, England ads or French or German or Australia, like talk about the, the global campaign. Cause you know, Chad and I, and most of our listeners, yeah, like we're, we're aware of the, the, the ads that we saw here in America, mm-hmm. but what did, what was the flavor like globally? So Canada, Mexico, and the UK are the top three international markets, um, for Las Vegas. And when you look at what works, um, the, what happens here stays here campaign works in Canada. Um, it works in Mexico it's different in um, the UK. So the British humor is different and therefore the campaign had to be different. Um, and so the campaign did did not necessarily translate globally as far as Europe went. In Europe, it was really more about what you could do here, how people could come, the ease of travel to Las Vegas, um, and then the variety of things we have to do. And then if you looked at places like Australia, Las Vegas is part of a larger itinerary. So consumers from farther away would come and they would make the West Coast tour and Las Vegas would be part of that stop. And so making sure that we were within that itinerary and people could see that they could come and have, you know, three or four days in Vegas and really have a great time and then continue on with the National Park Tour or wherever else they were going to go were situated in, in a place that allows them to do that. And so depending on where you're sitting in the world, you're going to get a, a different message. However, in the last couple of years, if you think about how social mm-hmm. social media has really um, come to pass at the end of the day, it's people encouraging one another. Um, people are going to listen to a trusted friend or colleague before they're going to listen to a brand. And so making sure that all social media across the world, um, we were personable, we had a personality was really important for the brand. Did you target China and Russia? 
we targeted China. So there's nonstop service um, from Hainan on to Beijing to Las Vegas. Um, so that was a market that um, we were in. We did not tar- target Russia. It would be really hard to get here. You'd have to go through one of the major um, ports, LA or New York. So did you develop personas for all these different areas? Because it, it seems like you have different brands for the different demographics or the different geographies that you're trying to hit. We developed personas for visitors. So we looked and we said, okay, who are the visitors? So for example, one time we did an exercise that said, um, if you're coming from South America, what does that visitor look like? And so what we found through the research was that visitors literally would come here with an empty suitcase because their plan was to shop and to fill that suitcase up. <laughs> and so, you know, that's what, what made them happy. You know, they wanted to go out, they wanted to party, they wanted to have a good time and they wanted to go shopping. And so talking about those opportunities is what made that market go, oh yeah, okay, Vegas is the place I'm going to go. So knowing who your visitor is, regardless of where they sit in the world is the key. So what about purpose though? Because we know that cult brands really are heavily found, the foundation is heavy in purpose. What purpose were you guys really focusing on to be able to, not just for your employees and for your organization and for Las Vegas, but what was the purpose you were trying to push out to the individuals all over the world? Well, cult brands absolutely have to have a purpose. They have to stand for something. And what Las Vegas stood for was adult freedom. And if you think about it, Las Vegas has been criticized for that, but it is a place that is celebrated because of it. And so that's what we pushed, this idea that you could come here and you could, if you wanted to um, shave your head and walk around for a week, you could. If you wanted to, to come here and you know stay up all night, you could. If you wanted to just come and relax, you could. And, it, and it's one of these places where you can go to dinner. Um, and if you've ever been to Las Vegas, you've seen this, you can go to dinner and you can see everything. Yeah. You know, you can go into a show and you'll see people dressed in all kinds of clothes um, and it's acceptable. And so that is what people want. They crave to be accepted. And that's what Vegas stands for. We'll get back to the interview in a minute. Building a brand isn't easy which is why you need people like Tom Kinney, CEO of Smashfly, on your side. All right, Tom, engagement is key to becoming and maintaining cult brand status. So how are your clients actually focusing on that today? Well, first, we need to think about engagement in general, right? You can engage a bunch of people a bunch of different ways. So the first thing is recognizing what's a positive engagement and what's a negative engagement. You really got to be able to focus on the value proposition of what it is you're trying to communicate. So the second part of that, after you understand what's really the positive engagement, it's maximizing the brand value. You know, it's just like if you're if you're out and you're shopping for a car and what you're really, really interested in is how that car feels when you drive it. You know, you sit behind the wheel and you're smelling that new car smell and you feel comfortable and you're sort of ease back into that seat and you just, you feel the power behind the wheel, that's a positive engagement, but you don't get to the dealership unless you're really promoting the idea of what that car feels like. And in many ways, employer brands need to be thinking that way. You know, when you're, when you're talking about scenarios where it's really, really hard to hire people, you can't create a engagement strategy that says, Hey, we have jobs and Hey, you should come work for us because we have health benefits. It's crap. It's not going to get you anywhere. You've got to create some sort of emotive response that when you're communicating, in that level of engagement. It's a positive response that gets people excited. It gets them to want to sit in that chair behind the desk like they want to sit in a Porsche seat. To find out more, go to smashfly.com. Kathy, a lot of our listeners are in the employment space, HR, talent acquisition. 
and branding is a, a relatively new term uh, for a lot of them. If you were to give them advice on sort of the basic things they should look for in building a, an employment brand or an overall kind of cult brand to attract talent, like what are some of the things that you would give them as starting blocks? I think what's really important is you have to remember that you have to inspire from within. And so your team has to believe um, what it is that you're trying to sell. Um, and you have to create that from the inside out. Your internal audience is so important. And I think sometimes gets pushed aside for the external message. But if the internal audience doesn't believe it, then it's never going to ring true to the external audience. So I think that idea of culture um, is really important. I think this idea of being remarkable and creating some spontaneous conversation is really important, not only with your external fans, but with your internal audience. Because if your employees don't believe in whatever it is that you're trying to sell or service, that's going to come across. What you're saying is, I'm going to say it again, because I don't think employers, and we're really focusing on the employer side right now, really focus hard enough about on this, is that culture does kick strategies ass every single day. Because if you don't have a culture, then everything else falls apart. Is that what I'm hearing? That's exactly what you're hearing. If you don't have a culture that can support the strategy, then the strategy will never be what it could be, regardless okay. of how good the strategy is. Yeah. So Vegas pretty much is not for everybody, right? But you guys in being able to be pervasive, to be able to really embrace that cult brand, did you have casinos and did you have pretty much businesses coming to you saying, well, hey, you're, you're killing my business. We want to be more general. We don't want to be so locked down in this quote unquote adult sector. Did you have any of that? Because you were serving pretty much many masters at that point, weren't you? Yeah. In the very beginning of the campaign, um, there was really a big effort um, put in by my boss and by um, the head of the agency at the time to go around to every one of the partners and talk about what was happening and why. Because until then, advertising very much had been around showing product. And the idea of what happens here stays right. here was not about showing product. It was about emotion. Um, and so convincing people that it was a good idea and was going to work was a heavy lift. And then I think that what happened over my tenure was making sure that we continue to test it, it continued to work, and we continued to refresh it so that it stayed up with the times and was still relevant. You can't just sit back on your laurels and go, okay, well, that's great, and we're just going to float off that forever. Um, and so we spent a lot of time making sure that we were changing up the campaign and talking about um, visiting Las Vegas in ways that were um, most appropriate throughout, throughout my tenure. Zappos comes to mind as one of the most prominent, probably uh, Las Vegas based companies that really sold, I guess, almost a connection to the Vegas mentality with how they looked at employment. Uh, people who don't know Zappos or have seen, I've done a tour of the company. I mean, very lively, uh, personalized. Um, it's a very fun workplace. Did you see more companies uh, than Zappos sort of embrace the Vegas lifestyle? Um, I can, t I can think, for example, you know, healthcare is a big, uh, a big thing to get to get people to come to Vegas um, and work in healthcare because there there are shortages there. Like. Did, did some hospitals embrace sort of the Vegas lifestyle and come here and, and have a good time, work hard, play hard? Um, were there any companies that came to you and said, hey, can you help us guide our brand in terms of, you know, attracting talent in that way? Or did you guys yourselves um, attract talent by using the whole message of what, what, what happens here stays here? 
So I think what we saw um, for the most part is this idea of working with economic development, so state economic development, regional economic development, and making sure that they had the materials they needed to talk about what the city had to offer. Um, you know, Vegas was considered a place that people visited and didn't really live, um, and there are two million people that live here, and so I think you saw that um, most front face forward um, after the events of October first, but prior to that. It was all about making sure people understood what we had to offer. I mean, that all led back to economic development, right? I mean, because you had to do more than just come up with catchy brands. You had to focus also on the economic development piece as well. So there was a lot of moving parts. So how did you, how did the actual customers, first and foremost, how did the, the customers, how were they involved in this whole cult branding and second, how did that affect your economic development? We talked to our customers all the time. Um, when I was working for the Bureau, we made sure that we were always in touch with what our customers wanted, what they expected, what they were receiving, so that we could be sure that we were talking to them in a way that they wanted to be talked to in places where they were going to be listening and engaged. Because you can't, you can't buy their loyalty. You have to earn their loyalty. And the only way you're going to earn their loyalty is to have a two-way conversation. And so making mm. sure that we were in that conversation and listening to p what people really wanted and then relaying that back out to the local community was really important. So that was one way that that happened. Um, and then what we also saw was that we needed air service. So when you look at Las Vegas um, as a location, you can either drive here or fly here. There's no train. Um, and so we made sure that we were involved in airline development and making sure that we were talking to airlines about how they could fill both the front and the back of their plane. Las Vegas is one of the number one location cities for trade shows. The Trade Show 200, the top, the largest trade shows um, in America come to Las Vegas. And so we would have business conversations around the idea of all of these business meetings are happening. Trade shows are happening. People are buying business class seats. So we should have more air service because we know we're a leisure destination. We know we can fill the back of the plane, but we had to make sure that we were making the business case that we could also fill the front of the plane. Wow. So, I mean, this is so in depth. I mean, because most big brands, they don't have to think about all these different moving parts, not in this manner, right? Plus, you have the workforce development side. So you're looking to get the engines of economic development moving and growing. You're looking to make sure that obviously airlines are getting the people that are that that are there to be able to consume what Vegas is putting out. But what about workers? Did you focus on workforce development as well? How did that work within the actual scheme to ensure that economic development might be booming, but you have to have the people to be able to do the work. Yeah, making sure that we were talking to our internal audiences about what we were doing and why was really important. And so we spent a good amount of time in marketing resources, um, in wrapping walls within the building and, and having a message internally to employees about, we are Vegas. You know, we, we that live here are Vegas um, and we're responsible for for help creating this Vegas experience. And so making people feel like they're empowered and they're part of something bigger is really important. And we spent uh, marketing resources, time, effort, and energy um, creating those with you know internal audiences. What did we need? How could we do it? And how could we support it? And often marketing and everything else that happens in culture is separated in companies. And when you can bridge some of those gaps, I mean, admit it, marketing is usually where the budget is um, and everything else is not where the budget is, right. but bringing those two things together is what makes it successful. So true. So true. Vegas is a, an ever changing animal. Um, certainly the Vegas I first visited 20 years ago is not the same Vegas as it is today. 
you have online gaming impacting the business, you know, you have concert and, and uh, per, uh, personalities and celebrities, you know, root taking root for months at a time uh, doing shows. You now have sports, professional sports teams uh, moving into the city. How important is, you know, establishing a brand that can stand the test of different things that go on? So, you know, companies that have to deal with ever-changing landscapes are a very similar, uh, similar animal. Like, what are the what are the tips that you would give to make sure that you have a, a, a solid foundation um, for an ever-changing world uh, when you look at your building your brand? I think the number one thing is to be flexible and to not fall in love with your own idea. Uh, what's interesting is that we work so hard in marketing and creating and bringing to life this idea that we think is going to motivate people. The downside of that is you begin to love your idea so much that you forget there's other ideas out there. Um, and there's a danger in that. And so remaining flexible, being open to feedback, making sure that you're willing and ready to change if you need to be willing and ready to change um, is key, I think, to success because the world is ever changing. And it doesn't matter what you're selling or what you're servicing, something in that is going to change and you have to be prepared for that. And the only way you can be prepared for that is to be open to change. We'll get back to the interview in a minute, but first a quick question for Chris Nealon about the gathering of cult brands. Chris, one of the things that really blew me away when I attended the conference was just the lineup. Uh, I mean, it's a who's who of marketing uh, celebrities, if you will. Crazy. So I'm curious, when you started, how in the hell did you get these people to come? And I guess more importantly, how do you keep them coming and how do you one up yourself from this year? Yeah, well, it's certainly easier to get them to come in year seven than it was in year one. And people frequently ask, are we going to run out of cult brands? And, you know, I think maybe I wondered about that too. How you know, can I get 10 years, 20 years out of this conference? And then we started doing things like destinations. We started doing nonprofits. Last year, we did our first celebrity, which was Tony Hawk. And we could go into um, politicians. Uh, there's lots of different places that actually have cult like followers. And so I think it's uh, got a a nice, long, healthy runway of cult brand honorees. And, you know, we get them to come for two reasons. One, I think there's a lot of substance. Uh, we do about nine months of vetting. Uh, we've partnered with IBM and we use Watson technology to help us cull through tremendous amounts of data. We do phone screening interviews. We do on-site visits. And so I think there's a lot of rigor that goes into making sure that these brands are as awesome as they appear to be on the outside. And then secondly, I think part of the secret sauce is that we're giving them a product, a, a, an offering. We don't even call it a conference. That's why we called it the gathering. We didn't want to call it a conference because we think most conferences suck. And so we said we had to build a place that these types of people would actually want to go to. And so the whole the whole format and the whole location and everything was sort of chemically engineered from the ground up to be highly desirable. Register now at cultgathering.com. The Jim Stroud Podcast explores the discoveries and trends forming the future of our lives. Brain-to-brain communication, robot bosses, microchip implants for workers, and artificial intelligence replacing human workers are all happening now. If you want to know what's happening next, subscribe now to the Jim Stroud Podcast. And and speaking of external influences, you know, one of the things that are our audience uh, from an employment 
specific uh, or employment side have to deal with on a regular basis are employee reviews. Mm -hmm. So you, you may be familiar with sites like Glassdoor, um, Indeed Reviews, Twitter, et cetera. How involved were you guys, you mentioned social media, from external comments about Vegas and what people were doing and, and, and whatnot. Did you get involved? Did you have a, an account that would talk to people on social? Mm -hmm. Or did you just kind of let the exterior commentary um, run without any influence on it? No, I think community um, engagement and community management is really important um, and making sure that you know what people are saying because there's some things you can respond to and help provide clarity. Um, and there's other times you just have to let people um, say what they want to say. And what's interesting is that you'll sometimes people see the audience in, engage and check one another. Um, and so the brand doesn't have to even do that. Um, but it's important to know. It's important to know what people are saying about you. It's important to know um, when you need to have a voice. Um, and again, I would go back to after the events of October 1st, when the shooting happened here, it was really important that the brand have a voice. And we spent um, some time making sure that we had the right voice. And what we ended up using was user-generated content for the most part. We took what people were saying about Las Vegas and just put that back out again um, because that was the most important message that we could send. And so making sure you're engaged with your audiences um, is really critical. And tactically, how did you do that? Did you have a, a separate account for Vegas? Did you, was it the, you know, the tourism account? Like tactically, how did that happen? So it's, you know, Las Vegas, the Las Vegas account. Um, and it's monitoring the Las Vegas account and making sure that we had people that were responding, that were pulling content. We had people that were watching the Instagram account and the YouTube account and the Facebook account and pulling um, quotes that people were saying. And that happens all the time on a regular basis, but making sure that we know what people are saying. And like I mentioned earlier, hearing from a friend or a colleague has more weight than hearing from the brand. And so being able to echo back those statements was really important. As we, we uh, Joel and I were actually at uh, the gathering last, uh, last February and we had a wonderful time. But one of the things that we noticed from every single cult brand that was out there was exactly what you had said, where everything starts from within and ensuring that your employees not only buy in, but they, they understand the purpose and they're a part of the purpose that you're trying to push. We talked with uh, Douglas uh, Atkin from from Airbnb, and he said that, you know, they started out there. But every now and again, they would have to do some some checks to make sure that things weren't going, his words, getting wobbly, right? What did you do to be able to ensure, what did, you know, the, the organization do to ensure that, you know, everything that was from a purpose standpoint being pressed out and pushed out from a marketing standpoint and whatnot was still being embraced by employees six months, 12 months, 18 months down the road, and they still felt like they were, they were a part of the brand? I think creating rituals and, and creating rites and rituals internally is important. Uh, it's an opportunity to help people that are insiders feel like insiders. Um, and that's how they really embrace this idea of what's happening and why it's happening and how they play a role in that. And so we had regular conversations internally about what we were doing um, and we were planning on doing from an external perspective and why. And so people could understand, they could feel like they had a heads up. We would make sure that when we cut new commercials, for example, um, we would show them internally. Um, and so people would get a sneak peek about this is what's coming. Um, and so they had a sense of ownership before it was pushed out to the external world. And I think that is one of the keys is making sure you're talking to your internal audience and giving them a heads up and letting them feel like they have the inside track 
they'll be much better salespeople for you than they would ever be if they felt like they were chasing what was happening. Have you met the guys from The Hangover and which one would you most want to party with? (laughs) I have not met the guys from The Hangover and I think they scare me. (laughs) So which one would you most want to party with? Oh, yeah. I don't think I can do it. Too old. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what Joel would say. So Zach Galifianakis, if it's an age thing, I guess. Can't do it. I can't do it. Can't do it. Not going to do it. Get over it. Not going to do it. She's, she's learned what not to touch and what to touch, I guess, being in her position there in Vegas. Last, last question, Kathy, what was the hardest when it comes to brand and it comes to, to, to messaging, what was the hardest thing to do? All the steps of getting it out there, making it polished, all that, all of it. What was the hardest thing to do? And what's the biggest obstacle you believe most companies are going to face when they try to actually be true to themselves and focus on purpose? Uh, Coming to consensus, I think, is the hardest thing to do because we would have a lot of really great ideas and a lot of things that we thought would work. And being um, brave and saying sometimes deciding to go with something, you think about it, there's an idea that's safe and there's an idea that may be considered not quite as safe. Um, And making sure that you're leaning in and you're saying, well, the idea that's maybe not quite as safe really could have more legs and getting consensus to do that, I think is one of the hardest things because it's human nature to say, well, I can do this and and everybody's going to be safe and nobody's going to get fired today. Uh But leaning in and making sure that you're being brave, um, both internally and externally is really important. So the being brave part, what did you have to do to be brave? And were you challenging every, everybody else to be brave with you? Yeah, I mean, you have to build consensus. You have to make sure that you have your key audiences um, aligned and not everybody may agree. And you have to be okay with not everybody agreeing. But at the end of the day, somebody has to make a decision. That's important. No, and that's important. Somebody has to decide they're okay being in that role. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're in HR and talent acquisition, which is one of the most risk averse areas in any organization whatsoever. So it's important that they hear that, you know, be brave and actually take those steps because people do matter. And they're the ones who build not only your company or your widgets, but they are your brand. That's exactly right. And Kathy, thank you for being brave enough to come on our show today. For our listeners who want to know more about you or your organization, where should they go? They can go to www.cultideas.com. Outstanding. Chad? Excellent. We out. out. This has been the Chad and Cheese Podcast. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss a single show. And be sure to check out our sponsors because they make it all possible. For more, visit chadcheese.com. Oh, yeah. You're welcome. You've got questions, we've got answers. Business leadership, ownership, and sales can be challenging. Tune into the Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast to learn from the world's experts. Join me, your host, Diane Helbig, as I chat with people who have expertise in various areas of business. You'll enjoy the lively conversations that are focused on providing you with the ideas, tips, and suggestions you need to realize greater success. 
Get what you need for your business when you need it from the people who have the answers. Accelerate Your Business Growth is part of the Evergreen Podcast Network and is available on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.